For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Working a crowd can be an art form. Comedians will roll their sleeves up and take that handheld mic and walk back and forth across the stage to make people feel comfortable so they'll start laughing. Martin Luther King Jr. repeatedly punctuated and staccatoed his refrains like the rhythm of a song to get people connected with his message. Even our president, Donald Trump, knew how to work the crowds at his rallies leading up to the election. He, like all good politicians, know that you don't win elections by laying out a step-by-step plan to make economic, ethical, political, and militaristic changes. He, like all good politicians, know you don't win elections by calmly reflecting on the days of the past and a desire for simpler times. He, like all good politicians, know you don't win elections with PowerPoint projections and pie graphs and political policies. No, Donald Trump and every good politician and you and I, we all know that you win elections by firing up the people with a litany of complaints about what has gone wrong. You win elections by throwing gasoline on the fire. You win elections by working the crowd. And Jesus, just like Barack Obama and just like Donald Trump, He knew how to work a crowd. You know, you spread the word and you get thousands of people together outside to hear the message. You keep them on the edge of their ground area and then you wait for them to start salivating under the heat of the sun. You transform a loaf of bread and a couple fish into a buffet the likes of which have never been seen before. You get the crowds riled up about working on the Sabbath. You even quote some of the prophets from the past and then you heal a cripple man and you leave everyone with a rhetorical question. Is it better to heal someone on the Sabbath or let them continue to suffer? You walk into the middle of an angry crowd that is about to stone a woman to death. And quietly you write a couple choice words in the sand to let them peer into the mirror of their own souls. And then you empower that woman to lead a new and a holy life. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he knew how to work a crowd. And Palm Sunday, this strange occasion when we pass out palm branches before the service starts, it's perhaps the best example of Jesus' perfect political ability to work the crowd. Eric read for us that many people spread their cloaks. They literally took their clothes off their backs and placed them on the road to be trampled on. And still yet others even cut down palm branches to prepare the way for the king who entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. You know the story. I know the story. We can imagine ourselves there on the side of the road with dust still hanging in the air. We can feel the buzz of expectation around the one who will come to change it all. We can even feel within ourselves that same desire to scream out, Hosanna! Save us. But unlike the crowd, we know how the story ends. 
We know what awaits Jesus this so-called Holy Week. We know what will happen when he'll go to the temple and flip over the tables. We know the kind of strange sermon that he will offer from the mountaintop. We know that Jesus will get down on the floor and wash the feet of his disciples. We know that Jesus will gather his friends around a table to share some bread and some wine. We know that Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, beaten, mocked, and nailed to a cross. We know that before the end of the week, Jesus will be dead. And because we know how the story ends, it becomes clear to us that we may not have known what we were doing by standing on the road, joining those crowns, or even by joining the crowds who come to a place like this that we call church. The crowds gathered to sing their hosannas, and they wanted a king. But the only people who continue to admire him at the end of the week as a king are the sadistic soldiers who made him a crown of thorns and drove it into his skin. Jesus, then it seems, was not the right kind of king. He was not the one the crowds, or even we, were hoping for. And maybe I was wrong. Maybe Jesus wasn't all that gifted at working the crowd. After all, it only took less than a week for the crowds to go from singing Hosanna to shouting crucify. Jesus is a king unlike any other king. Other kings, who are also at times called presidents, know that they have to work and manipulate the crowd to bend them according to the desires of the powerful. Kings and presidents alike may even rely on the power of the sword to control and handle the crowd to bring forth their hopes and dreams. Such is the reality of worldly power. But Jesus, our king, he does not take advantage of the crowd's enthusiasm. Rather than a call to arms to storm the city gates to murder the ruling elite, Jesus suffers humiliation, abandonment, and even death. So the question is, do you still want to be part of the crowd? Do you still want to lift up your palm branches and say, save us, Jesus? Do you want to follow the king who died for you? And don't be mistaken. Jesus was as political as they come, but he rules not at the head of an army, but from an old wooden cross. He rules by, not by trying to filibuster a particular Supreme Court nominee or demanding democratic political policies, but by laying it all down, even For the ungodly. He rules not by ordering his troops to use chemical weapons against innocent civilians or even sending tomahawk missiles to destroy a military base. Jesus rules by mounting a cross and saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here in America, we pride ourselves on being the kind of people who can defy the whims of the crowd. You know, freedom! Here in America, we think for ourselves, or at least we think we think for ourselves. Because here's the irony. The moment that we are so sure that we have thought up something for ourselves, that moment we believe we are the most free is exactly when we've been co-opted by those with power. I know a lot of you, and I know a lot of you well enough to know that you think that if we had been there, We would have been good disciples and we would have stayed with Jesus all the way to the cross. 
I know that we like to think that if we had been there in Germany all those years ago, we would have protected Jews in our basements and that we would have rallied against Hitler. I know that we like to think that if we had been involved in politics at time, that maybe we would have voted against going to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Afghanistan, But the truth is a whole lot harder to swallow. The truth is, we are easily manipulated. And that's exactly why we sing awful songs like Ah, Holy Jesus on Palm Sunday. God will not allow us to get away with perennial self-deception and arrogance because we, my friends, we killed Jesus. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. Was I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. We know who we want Jesus to be. We want Jesus to be on our side in our petty arguments with friends and neighbors. We want Jesus to be on our side when it comes to disagreements in the community. We want Jesus on our side when it comes to the trajectory of our country. We want Jesus on our side when it comes to politics or Syria or health care or immigration. We see ourselves as Jesus in the story of his entry to Jerusalem. And the truth is we are not Jesus, thanks be to God. We are the fickle crowds on the side of the road who can so easily go from Hosanna to crucify. And that brings us to Romans 8. Romans 8 is an unsettling text. Sure, you and I have heard it at funerals. It offers us comfort and hope in the midst of sorrow and loss. It is important for us to declare the words of Romans 8 over and over. That death will never separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We know the passage. We know it almost as well as we know the story of Palm Sunday. In fact, if you can remember months ago, I challenged all of you in the congregation to think of a scripture that you would share with someone on death row right before they were killed. And this, Romans 8, was your overwhelming favorite. But these words from Paul in Romans 8, they can tempt us to forget that it's not just death that threatens to separate us from the love of God. Because there's a whole long list of other things. And we imagine them to all be good. Life, angels, rulers, powers, things present, things to come. But each and every one of them, almost as much as death, can threaten to come between Christ and his church, between God and us. When we're comfortable, when we can't imagine our faith requiring us to suffer for anyone, the list remains easily Ignorable. However, we become the truest disciples of Jesus Christ when we are willing to take risks. When we are willing to go against the flow. When we can resist the manipulation of those in power. And risks, they're called risks for a reason. Following Jesus is a risky thing to do. Because it always involves the possibility of being rejected. 
Many of us know that this past week marked the anniversary of the death, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King stood firm while the waves of the status quo crashed around him. Dr. King called out the principalities and the powers for being wrong. Dr. King worked the crowds to a belief in nonviolent resistance. And you know what? It got him killed. Here in Stanton, like I said last week, we don't feel very revolutionary. We don't equate our faith with having to take risks. We cannot even imagine having to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. We can't imagine ourselves being like Dr. King. We can't even imagine ourselves questioning what is really going on in Syria. But if we're serious about following Jesus, we're going to suffer for it. It's just a less glamorous and more mundane way of suffering. You know, like being mindful of other people. Like not getting stuck in our own unending bubble. Like asking hard questions that other people would rather ignore. Like acting like Jesus. Sacrificing our wants and needs. Calling someone in the midst of their grief. Showing up for a funeral when we might have other things to do. Here in this place in these days, following Jesus, it's not going to get us killed. But it might mean reaching out to someone who is totally unlike us. It might mean having a conversation with someone who voted for the other candidate. It might mean asking our spouses to forgive us for something we said or did. It might mean repenting for the way we spoke to our children or to our parents. It might mean confronting one of our friends about his or her addiction. It might mean asking someone to help us with one of our own. And if we are willing to follow Jesus that way, we will suffer. But nevertheless, Jesus is always God's great nevertheless to the cries of the world. Nevertheless, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not a bitter parent who refuses that apology, not an angry child who resents us for a past decision, not a nation who indiscriminately murders their own people, not a king or a president or a politician, not standing against the powers that be, not going against the current flow for a strange and more loving way of life, not anything now, not anything in the past, and not anything in the future. If we're serious about following Jesus, we're going to suffer for the sake of the kingdom. But it will never, ever divide us from God's love. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.